Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. In this episode, I'm talking with Michael Abramson. Michael has spent over 20 years in the fitness industry, and he has successfully scaled multiple fitness franchises. He spent just under a decade at D1 Training, where he wore a few hats, VP of Development and General Counsel, and eventually climbing the ladder to president. Under his leadership, D1 skyrocketed to the 59th spot on the Entrepreneur's Top 500 Franchises list in 2018. Post D1, he stepped into the COO role of Exponential Fitness, the world's premier spot for boutique fitness brands, boasting 10 distinct brands and a whopping over 2,500 locations. Michael played a key role in getting the company to a $1 billion IPO valuation. Today, he is the president of Stark, a fast-growing network of high-performance health solutions which integrate concierge medicine with nutrition, training, and mobility. 
In this episode, you'll learn Michael's fascinating journey from powerlifting and music production to becoming a mastermind of scaling businesses. You'll learn a blueprint on how to set growth goals for every stage of your business and a behind-the-scenes look at what it feels like to ring the bell at the New York Stock Exchange for a billion-dollar IPO. That and a whole lot more. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Michael has something special for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. He's giving away a special report titled The Five Keys to Franchising, which is a 30,000-foot roadmap to getting started with franchising. The report covers business model and operations, legal compliance and documentation, franchise selection and support, financial planning and management, and brand consistency and marketing. There's a ton of value provided, so if you're curious about the franchise model, definitely grab this report. To get access, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 150. Thanks for listening, and without further delay, my conversation with Michael Abramson. What's up, Michael? Great to have you on the show, man. Appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to connecting. Yeah, well, there's a ton of stuff we can dig into. I think it's really fun, just some of the circles that you and I run in, some of our mutual connections. One of the cool things about meeting you when we first connected, and I think our first introduction was via the Selfless Givers, right? Yeah. That's how we met. And I think we had some mutual friends. But one of the craziest stories is that you know someone from my hometown that I went to high school with, that I'm <laughs> friends with from back in my childhood days yep. at the church we grew up at, and he's one of your best friends. Yeah, he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. I mean, talk about a really small world, because we met in Chicago, and then you and I met when I was living in Southern California. So it's like worlds colliding. Well, that is just such a fun little small world phenomenon playing out in real life. And I'm excited to talk more because you've got such a fun life. I mean, the people that you know, the parties you go to. I mean, I think the other day you were telling me about that you were at a party and Snoop Dogg was there. And I think you were hanging, you know, Aaron Rodgers was there. So I know you're getting invited to these who's who parties. Yeah. How did you make the invite list for these? How do you get to go to all these cool parties? I'm a very cool guy. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm just a naturally charming human being. Well, there it is. No, I think you overstate my friendships, but I, I do have a lot of cool friends. I just, I'm a relationship collector. I tend to find value in people and just the relationship in general, not what I can strip mine out of the relationship, which oftentimes allows me to have even more bigger and more in-depth relationships, particularly with people that are constantly sought after because people are asking them for things all the time. Yeah. And I try not to ask people for things. Well, that's the differentiator because for you, you're always adding value, always asking like, who do you need to know? Who can I help you connect with? And your network is incredible. And, and by the way, like you, when people say, hey, Justin, what do you collect? I don't collect trinkets. I don't collect stuff. But what matters to me are relationships. This sounds funny, but I like to collect relationships. I like to yeah. get to know people. Like that's fun for me. And and you're a master at it. Yeah. Well, I like the story behind people, uh, particularly people that are accomplishing things because they tend to have a really unique story or vantage point. BB, my wife, used to hate, I think she understands it now. She used to hate when I say, I hate nice guys. 
because there's never anything good to say about them and there's never anything bad to say about them. They just kind of exist. (laughs) I think it really stems from the fact that growing up, I had a really colorful childhood. My dad had a lot of really colorful friends. My dad was a bit of a hooligan. I grew up training with him and people on our powerlifting team were in the Hells Angels or there'd be mafia guys running around and I didn't spend every second of the day with them, but I was definitely exposed to a lot of those types of characters. And it caused me to really appreciate unique individuals. And so I I love being around people like that. Not criminals, just interesting people. Yeah. You live the life of sons of anarchy, I feel like. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know what's so funny, too? I don't think I ever told you this. When I was managing bands, one of the bands that I managed, we placed eight songs on the Sons of Anarchy. Uh, I think it was season three. It was when, because it was a Celtic punk band called Flatfoot 56, and it was when they were fighting the Irish mob, they had, we got eight songs synced on there. Wow, that's incredible. And no, you did not tell me that. And I feel like (laughs) every time we hang out, I learn these cool new things that I'm like, how did you not brag about all this cool stuff that you've done? And by the way, you don't only collect relationships, you collect really cool careers too, because we should get into these. I mean, the people that you know, from bands to uh, powerlifting, to becoming an attorney, to becoming a COO of a major brand, like all all the stuff that you've done helping take a company public. I mean, I want to get into all of it because your career is incredible. Yeah. So I was kind of lucky My dad was a world champion powerlifter in the 80s and 90s. Uh, A lot of his teammates were also world champions. My uncle's a country songwriter. He was the bartender at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville from 86 to like 2000. He wrote Alan Jackson's first number one single here in the real world in 89. Wow. Then 25 years later, he had another three or four number ones. He wrote uh, How We Don't Care for Tim McGraw which had Keith Urban and Taylor Swift on it, Redneck Crazy, Tyler Farr, Neon Lights, Blake Shelton. Anyways, so I got exposed to a lot of cool things as a kid. No kidding. So I was really lucky. I don't think everyone gets exposed to as many cool things as I did. So what did that lead to in terms of like expectations for what you'll do? I know powerlifting was a really important part of your life, still is an important part of your life. I know that getting into the music scene was important for a period of time. So What did it look like? When did you decide to kind of pursue those versus pursuing the entrepreneurial ventures? Yeah, well, with powerlifting, I was kind of born into it. And what I found was as a 5'9 Jewish guy, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for upper level athletics. (laughs) So if I wanted to compete, (laughs) I needed to lift heavy things. But in reality, powerlifting's helped me more professionally than almost anything else. When I was in law school, I saw an article about a guy who was raising money like a like a walkathon using powerlifting. His phone number was there, so I figured he wanted strangers to call him, so I called him. <laughs> he knew who my dad was. He had heard of me. We started training together. He turned out to be the president of the Chicago Bar Association, an alum wow. of my law school. Yeah, and he helped open doors for me. And then I started working as general counsel and VP of development for... Uh, D1 Training, a high-end sports performance company co-owned by Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow, all those guys. And part of the reason why I got the job was because I I knew my way around the weight room and I 
don't watch any pro sports really. So as a running joke, I'd meet all these pro athletes, but I would only talk training with them. I never talked anything about sports with them. Uh, and I'd love to throw down in the weight room all the time. And so powerlifting has been a huge benefit to me. And so, yeah, I've been really grateful for it. That's awesome. I love it. And so for a period of time, though, you thought you were going to get into music or you did get into music, right? You were managing bands and, yep. and doing some work there. Talk about that season of your life. Yeah. So music is my, my true passion. I love music and I love training. And when I was in college, I started to put on a few events, nothing major. And I lucked out. One of the guys, his name's Josh Keir, uh, ended up becoming a big songwriter. And I started doing a little bit of work with him. He's gone on now to get five Grammys, four for Country Song of the Year. He wrote Before He Cheats, Need You Now, Two Black Cadillacs, Drunk wow. on You, Drunk on a Plane, anything that where you're drinking, he's probably written it, <laughs> which then led into a little bit of management, but more putting on events. And so there's a bar in Chicago called Joe's Bar. It's a huge venue for country music. I became friends with the the owner, Ed Warm, who's just the nicest guy on the planet. We started putting together songwriter sessions called the Circle Sessions. We were flying up people from Nashville. Probably the first event we ever did had Shane McAnally, who Shane's written a ton of big hits. Uh, he was host of NBC's Songland. He wrote Somewhere With You for Kenny Chesney. He wrote half of Casey Musgrave's album, produced her album. Brandy Clark was in that round. Brandy, for the first time ever, played Mama's Broken Heart, uh, which is a Miranda Lambert number one. And she and Shane this year launched a Broadway play called Shuck that was nominated for nine Tony Awards. And so wow. I just stayed friends with all of them. And I got in. Uh, then I started managing bands with Christian Picciolini. Christian, Christian is an interesting guy in his own right. He's one of the founders of the Northern Hammerskins, which is the world's largest racist skinhead organization. So Whoa. me as a Jew working with him, he's walked away from the movement a long time ago. But we were working together to manage bands. He was a great, great guy to help teach me what to do. We also founded a charity together called Life After Hate. Me, him, Arno Michaels, Sammy Rangel, Frank Meek, a few other guys that went on to really work to help de-radicalize fundamentalists, particularly skinheads, but also non-skinheads. And so music and powerlifting has really weaved its way into my life uh, in a really indelible way. Wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And so for a period of time, you thought that was going to be the path, right? But then you're like, hey, I want to go to law school. I want to pivot. Yeah. You thought you were going to be a lawyer, but you, that was kind of short-lived. You became a lawyer, right? <laughs> but it, it was short-lived yeah. before you transitioned more on the operation side, right? So walk us through that journey of like, what was next after yep. music? And obviously, I know music has stayed your heart and soul, but professionally, what was next? Yeah. So the legal side, let me start working with D1 training. And when I was with D1 training, our mutual friend, Andrew Hudgens, and one of the things that he taught me is if you really want to move up and create your ideal role, excel at the responsibilities you're given, and then ask for the things that you think are what you want to be doing. And so at D1, I was excelling as an attorney and partnership side, which then let me start getting into the operations piece. And so I started to get to advise them strategically on different things, which allowed a, a real 
segue over to ops, which really since then hasn't hasn't stopped because I went from being uh, president of D1 Training to chief operating officer of Exponential Fitness and their chief revenue officer, and most recently president of a company called Stark. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been great. And when you say I was an attorney, I tell everyone this. I'm like, I was an attorney. I never said I was a good attorney, <laughs> but I was an attorney. Uh, I passed the bar. I think you're good enough to be getting some high-profile positions, and it it's powerful to see you pivot from. I, I mean, I feel like most people get you know typecast into the attorney role, and that's it, right? Like it's hard to get out of it, but yeah. the skill set does lend itself well to operations. And I think that there are a lot of very successful attorneys or attorney, you know, background of attorney that end up running different companies. So I think that that's a a common path. But I think most attorneys don't ever fall out of that line of practicing law. Yeah, I think most people in life and attorneys maybe are the most miserable. I think most people in life just accept limitations really quickly. Yeah. And they, their imagination, no one ever works to expand their imaginations. And I kind of felt this way going into law school. And I was, I was president of the student bar association when I was in law school. So I got to talk to incoming students all the time. And I used to tell them always, there's, there's two immutable facts. One, only the top 5% can be in the top 5%. Everyone else has to hustle. That's just a mathematical truth. Two, the law degree is probably one of the most versatile, if not the most versatile degrees out there because it it gets you access to rooms, gives you credibility, but lets you get education in business, in finance, in operations. I mean, all these different things come alongside of it. And if you piece them together, you can really create something powerful, but you've got to have that imagination. Yeah. And so you started with operations with D1. And how long were you there and how did you get recruited to Exponential? Because that's like, that's big time. I mean, D1 is big name, big brand, but Exponential is like huge in the space of franchises. Yeah. So I was at D1 for just shy of a decade. Okay. I met the founder of D1 all because I was, uh, I gave a tour of my law school to, to a kid that I then became friends with after law school. And when I started my own firm, he introduced us. But moving from D1 to Exponential, a recruiter reached out. I literally, I usually don't respond to recruiters. I said, you've got five minutes. I've got a couple, I I can take a call. Otherwise, you know, pound sand. He called me, let me know what was going on. Uh, It was, they were actually looking for the president of Stride, not a COO at the time. Uh, They flew me out for an interview pretty quickly because I just happened to be going to Scottsdale for spring training and they're based in California. I'm like, hey guys, if you want me out, do it now. Otherwise, it's going to be tough for me to get there from Nashville. I came out. I interviewed with Anthony Geisler, the founder of Expo, and uh, I got a call. I can't remember if it was that day or the next day from the recruiter. And he's like, I don't know what happened in there, but he's interested in in U.S. COO, not as president of Stride, which if you know Stride is a run-based brand, I am anti cardio, anything. <laughs> I was not really interested in stride. I really wanted to meet Anthony because Anthony is kind of a legend in the fitness franchising space. Yep. And why? Tell people why. I mean, Exponential is a, a conglomerate of a ton of big yeah. brands in, in the space. So tell everyone what all is part of it. So I'll go a step back from Exponential with Anthony. Anthony founded or he took LA Boxing when it had only a couple of gyms, grew it, 
uh, I want to say to 100 or 150 locations, sold it to UFC. That became UFC Gyms. Anthony was then president of UFC Gyms, was leading that. He exited entirely, was sitting around bored, found Club Pilates at about 10 locations, bought Club Pilates, started to grow it. And then he had the idea for Exponential, which was a multi-brand consortium with a shared service backend. And Exponential then added, uh, after Club Pilates, and this is in no particular order, added Pure Bar, Cycle Bar, Rumble, AKT, Row House, Stretch Lab. Yoga 6, wasn't Yoga 6 part of it? Yeah, Yoga 6 is one of them. I, always, I used to have to go by offices because there were so many brands I couldn't, I couldn't remember. There's 10 brands, and we, we grew to 2,500 locations, and wow. Anthony was the godfather of all of it. That's unbelievable. Well, I feel like uh, that would be a really fun podcast interview. So maybe I'll make a connection. Yeah, you should. And by the way, for those of you that get a chance to listen to the Erwin McManus uh, episode, which hasn't come out yet, but that is also thanks to Michael Abramson because he is the master connector and and connected us. I love Erwin. Did he tell you? I, I met Erwin in 2007. I interned with him for a few months. Oh, that's so cool. I graduated law school, bought a one-way ticket to LA. My roommate threw out all of my stuff because I didn't think I was coming back and I didn't pack anything. (laughs) I had to come back because I needed money. Uh, But I had had to live on some girl's sun porch for five months uh, when I came back. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you are just full of stories. I love it. I love it. So what, what was it like working, you know, side by side with this legend? Anthony's unique. Anthony, he knows this. Anthony is a professional asshole. He is one of the most aggressive business guys I have ever worked with. That said, he's almost never wrong with the decisions he's making. And he he understands numbers and he is able to distill the business down to very simple concepts, which then allows for really fast replication. And, and that's what he does. He exponential sells probably a thousand franchise territories a year at this point across all their brands. Man. Yeah, it's That's it's amazing. Unreal. That's that is a monster machine, if you will. Yeah. And and by the way, you got to go and ring the bell when they went public. So talk about that because this is I mean, part of the reason you were brought on is that you had the background to help them scale to a point where they could IPO. Yeah, a key thing when you look at the way Exponential got the brands, every brand was through acquisition. There was no indigenous starting. So we would take a concept, typically at a young age, and then grow it. But what it meant was there was not a lot of knowledge share across the brands, and there there was a lot of disparity in all the systems the brands were using. And then we had real estate and construction. You start looking at all the places where the franchisor supports, but then you've got all these brands under one roof, but they're all using different processes. I'm a very process-oriented person, and I, for better or for worse, I'm probably like Anthony. I'm a, I'm a professional asshole, too. I, I've got very thick skin. If you look at the strengths finders, command is in my top five, and command says, you feel no remorse imposing your will on other people. That's the best summary I, I have of it. <laughs> True story. Yes. And so I started the process of really trying to weave things together. And it wasn't just me. There's a team, right? And so we we spent about 18 months really working on the systems. And then we went into IPO prep mode, where we hired Deloitte to be our internal auditor. 
which is the most painful process on the planet. I'm sure. They tell you every day you're doing 20 things wrong. And so you're just constantly fixing things. COVID derailed us. We were trying to IPO in March of 20, and then we had to wait till July of 21. So we basically did all the IPO prep work twice because we filed the private S1. Oh, no. And then we had to maintain and update it with significant business changes because brick and mortar fitness had some real upheaval during the pandemic. But because, and this is really a testament to Anthony, Anthony's so aggressive during the pandemic, rather than closing locations, uh, we closed no locations permanently. We actually opened 250 locations in 2020 alone. Wow. And because he wanted to lean in, he knew the IPO was coming. He wanted to lean in, but other major brands like Dave Long with Orange Theory, great leader, but he was pulling back and Anthony's going, yep, people are pulling back. So let's lean forward. Yeah. Hey, that's great foresight right there. So what was the valuation had you been able to IPO the first time versus what was the valuation at the actual IPO? I can't give you the actual, but it was uh, at least double what we actually IPO'd at. Wow. So the pandemic, we IPO'd at just shy of a billion. The IPO, if we IPO'd uh, pre-pandemic, it would have been double that. Man, that's a big difference. But still, that's a massive IPO. And you got to feel good. So what, what was it like being on the floor, <laughs> being ringing the bell, being, you know, having everyone stare at you, having yeah. news reporters capturing everything? It's exciting and anticlimactic at the same time. And if you know me really well, you know, I hate getting dressed up. So I had to wear a suit, which was torture for me. But it's exciting because you get there and there's all this energy and you're doing these brand activations outside and you walk up, you're on Wall Street and you walk up and you see the exponential banner hanging on the stock exchange and these huge stages outside. And there's it's very kinetic. Then when you get in there, you're hanging in the boardroom for a while with the chairman of the stock exchange. Which is which is fun and and I of course I bust his balls a little bit because he you know he gives a speech to the company beforehand and you know as he's walking out I'm talking to him and I'm like so uh, how many times do you give that exact same speech every week <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun but the the thing is you ring the bell which opens the market but it takes like two hours for anyone to actually trade your product. And so there's a second bell that you have to ring once the first official uh, stock is traded and the and the actual price is set, uh, which is usually, I mean, it's televised, but there's not as much theatrics around it because it's not up on the pedestal or anything. Uh, so yeah. you, you ring the bell on the pedestal and then you sit around for two hours. It, like, what do I do? Go outside, do the brand activation, yada, yada. But it was it was super exciting. It was a once in a lifetime experience to to be able to go there and do it and be part of the team that that made it happen. That's so cool. And I know there are a lot of entrepreneurs, there are franchise owners, there are people that have multiple locations for their business. Maybe it's not uh, technically a franchise, but they have many locations. What are some keys to success that you see as being able to scale? profitably, successfully, a small organization to a large organization or a mid-sized organization to a large organization? Yeah. So it starts at the ground floor. You got to look at unit level economics. Your unit needs to be performing at an optimal level that's not dependent on personalities inside the four walls because you can't really replicate the personalities. 
You've got to have the, the, we used to say there's three formulas to success in fitness franchising. You've got to have sales, marketing, and programming. And as long as you have those, you're going to win. If you are dependent on a Mike Abramson or a Justin Donald, because we're so charismatic, larger than life, yada, yada, you're going to cap out pretty quickly. And then you need to have what your, your ground rules are for growth. What do you want it to look like? Do you want to build to scale to exit? Do you want to build to scale for an investment to take some chips off the table? Or are you building to hold in perpetuity and live on residuals? Because each one of those goals sets a very different path on how you build the business. And so you look at the unit level economics and then you determine what are the rules of the game? What's my, what's my win at the end of this? And that creates the trajectory. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I love hearing the true science behind it. What are the the technical things that need to be done? Because what is it, 2,500 locations? Yeah. That's, that's just incredibly large. And, you know, obviously you've got to learn. You can't run that big of an operation without having many systems in place, but your systems are all different because you have so many different brands, 10 different brands. Yeah. So when we started to weave everything together, what we really saw is every brand could should have the exact same processes outside of the sales piece because they all have different personalities. So Club Pilates is a more subdued, refined experience with 12 reformers in a studio, whereas Cycle Bar is 50 bikes. You need it to be high energy, super active. And so the sales process looks different. But to open it, to sell it, to find the location, to get into construction and to open it, that process is effectively the same everywhere. That makes sense. Yeah, so you can systematize part of it at scale for all pieces of the organization and then other things have to be modified specifically for that brand. Right. Yeah. And, and so at a certain point in time, like what's, what's the, like how many people were, were being managed? Like how many people were part of the infrastructure of exponential before it went public? I couldn't give you the exact, cause I can't remember, but depending on where we were, it was between 400 and 700. Yeah, because we had corporate huge. studios in addition to our every brand having their own team and then Exponential having its own team that that acts as the foundation of each of those. Yeah. And so you've got uh, corporate, you've got corporately owned franchises, and then you have your franchisees who you're probably not even counting in that count. Yeah. Because they're their own business owner. Yeah. If you're if you're counting franchisees. So we had about 3,000 plus franchisees alone. Then if you count their team members inside of the franchise, you're talking another 15,000 or so team members in addition. Wow. Yeah, that is a massive organization. Now, you had to have had a nice piece of the exit being a COO, being brought in. You're brought in a little bit later stage, so they probably don't have to give up as much equity. But I've got to imagine it was... Not a sad day for you when the company went public. Yeah. And I know financially you had to do well. You don't have to give us all the details. You can share what you want or not share what you want. But you had enough that you didn't have to rush into anything. Yeah. And I think you were looking for what was next, right? So I'm curious what that felt like to experience a windfall of cash. Was it 
more than you thought you'd get? Was it as cool of a feeling as you thought? Did did the luster wear off pretty quickly afterwards? <laughs> the luster wore off really quick because yeah. I'm just not a money-driven guy. And I, and I don't say that to disparage anyone that's just trying to accumulate cash because I, I think it's important to have really good residuals and, and wealth development. But that that's never my end goal. It's really more the experience and the accomplishment. And I tend to be really, really bad at celebrating anything. I usually joke around when people bust me for it. I always say, Vince Lombardi used to say, you don't make someone better by extolling their virtues. It's kind of a horseshit thing to say, but that is the way I operate. And so I have a hard time celebrating. So it was exciting for a minute. And then I we went through and my wife and I started looking around and we're like, okay, what do we want to start doing next? Where do we want to start leaning? And I thought I was going to be a social media star, which is, I'm saying that half joking. One of our mutual friends, Andrew East, uh, and his wife have a big social media presence. And and so I was talking to Andrew about helping them with their brand development, which was uh, a fun process. So how did you land on what you're doing now? I mean, you could have done anything. Yeah, I was consulting with a lot of companies. I was uh, talking to Evelyn Webster a lot. I love Evie. Uh, she's the CEO of SoulCycle. Uh, she's awesome. Talking to her, talking to Fritz Landman. He's the CEO of Mind, Body, and ClassPass. Been really kind of tossing around. But the, the thing that was happening with consulting was I had great control of my schedule, but I wasn't building anything. And I like building things. And I happened to meet this guy, Todd Vandehei, who I'm sure Todd will listen to this. Todd is the lesser successful brother of Todd and Mark Vandehei. Todd's older brother, Mark, is an astronaut who holds the record for longest time in outer space. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so Todd can't live up to that. But I met Todd through a unique organization called Alder. And Todd was running a really values-driven organization, which appealed to me, that married the medical or clinical side of life with fitness and looking truly at uh, life optimization. So not just let's get you a six pack, but let's look, we're going to draw your blood every four to eight weeks. We're looking at your hormones, your inflammation markers. We're running the Boston lab, your micronutrient panel, your, your food sensitivities. We're doing DEXA scans every six weeks, which look at bone density and visceral, fat, like all these things that are objective markers of health that you can't, you can't lie about. And what he was doing was engineering truly healthy, optimized individuals. And I thought that was fascinating. And so, and he was just such a nice guy. I mean, so no offense to you, Anthony, I'm sure you're going to listen to this at some point. He was the antithesis of, of Anthony. Anthony was terrible to work with. He's great to pal around with. Todd is a nurturer. And so going through, after going through this grinding experience with the IPO and then consulting, Coming alongside someone like Todd, who was really looking at how do I develop my team members, was a really refreshing experience. We were sitting there at coffee one day, and he just randomly asked me, hey, have you ever thought about running Stark? And I'm like, Todd, what kind of asshole would I be if I told you, yes, I've thought about taking your company <laughs> from you? And I'm like, no, I've never thought of it. And he's like, well, are, are you interested? Because he's thinking, I've Todd personally has taken it to as far as he probably can. And he needs someone with the eyes of scale to figure out how do we grow this larger than it currently is. And so that's how I got involved. Oh, that's awesome. 
I love that. And, you know, obviously earlier stage presents some really cool opportunities yeah. for what that role is. And I know that you're not motivated by money, but there are aspects certainly of it that can create good quality of life and cool experiences. And I got to imagine that the package to get you was a pretty nice package. Yes. We went back and forth a few times, but he was very willing and accepting of my requests. And uh, it's nice to have someone whose seat you want to take. And so it, it gives you something good to work against. Yeah, that's awesome. And by the way, for you, when you're in a position where financially you don't need it, it makes deciding what you want to do and negotiating for what you would need to get to make it worth it kind of more fun because yeah. it becomes a game yeah. rather than like a survival necessity. Yeah, it's it's not this, I'm trying to lever up on you because I need to get as much out of it as possible. It's let's let's create a really positive experience for everyone. At the time, I was actually working on a physical therapy concept with uh, Greg Perry, who's the old head of therapy for D1 Training. We sold, I didn't mention this before, at D1, we sold our physical therapy business to Exos, which is a premier company. Greg went to run that, was SVP at TB12. I reached out to him and was like, let's create a physical therapy company that's a little bit more nuanced. I reached out to Hyperice because I knew some of the guys there and was meeting with Anthony Katz, their founder. Anthony's just the nicest guy on the planet. Anthony wanted to do it. Met with Jim Huther, their CEO. They went through a financing round, so we kind of pushed pause. And then I started at Stark. And now, come full circle, we're in the process of bringing that entire concept back to life. And we're looking at, do we marry with Hyperice or do we marry with Therabody? Because I've got some tie-ins with, with Therabody as well. Oh, that's fun. I mean, sky's the limit. I mean, I I believe in what you're talking about. I mean, I'm a walking example of someone that's doing all the blood work and, you know, is trying to optimize for health. And I just think that that is going to be one of the next huge, majorly commoditized yeah. industries. Are you working with human longevity or someone like that? No. Well, it, it is someone like that. So I have worked with Fountain Life. Yeah. Tony Robbins company. Yep. And then I have worked with East West Health, mm -hmm. uh, Reagan Archibald, and there are a few others that I have interviewed and uh, maybe next on the docket for, I like having kind of one of these new companies each year so yeah. I can see who's kind of got the edge in what areas and it's been fun. The thing that I've seen, because we're in the process of talking to uh, Human Longevity about a partnership is a lot of these companies, they provide an incredible service, but they lack the ability to help you implement. It's great diagnostics. And if you have an issue, they connect you with great practitioners. But day-to-day -day implementation is usually lacking. And that's actually where Stark shines, is combining all those people and helping people to integrate day-to-day. -day. I love it. And by the way, I, I feel like the last time we were talking or hanging out, you were doing some sort of cool partnership or, or some program with Live Nation, uh, or you know the people there. You always know someone somewhere. <laughs> and since I also love music and, and love some of this, isn't that uh, a group that you've worked with or know you know a lot of them well? Yeah. So it was more Rock Nation, which is part of Live Nation. One of my best friends, who actually was my roommate, because as a grown man. I made no money and we shared a bunk bed at the age of 27. <laughs> Hank Fortner. <laughs> Hank was the head of artist management for Rock Nation. 
And we were working on some partnerships with them. I started working with Jay Brown, who Jay's the co-founder of Rock Nation with Jay-Z. And he's also one of the founders of Marcy Venture Partners with uh, Larry Marcus and and, uh, Jay-Z. And I I did a little bit of consulting work for Jay Brown on one of the uh, companies they invested in through Marcy Ventures. Uh, Jay's the nicest guy on the planet. And so that, that partnership actually with Jay and then with Hank continues. I, I actually have some coaches with the Jonas Brothers right now, getting them ready for their tour that they're about to launch. So we're still in the mix. I love how you have time for like all these things that you love. You don't cut them out. You, you keep doing it. And it's just awesome. You stay closely connected with music. I'm just blown away by a guy like Jay-Z that can be so incredibly gifted on the artistic talent side of things. One of the, I still think he holds the record for most, let's see, trying to think what it is. I think the most platinum albums. Yeah, that sounds right. And just so many top hits to be that good there, but to transition from an artist to an entrepreneur to like a true business mogul that has been able to scale Live Nation and other companies, different brands that he's partnered with. I mean, that that story is just incredible. Yeah. I listened to his book on Audible and just I'm blown away. He's really sharp. I don't work with Big J, so I'm not going to claim him as my best friend. Hank, though, is real, real tight with him. And when he was at Rock Nation, was doing a ton of work directly with Jay. And he said Jay was so unbelievably sharp when it came to assessing business opportunities, partnerships and creative structuring of the partnerships where it's not one winning and one losing, but a, a mutual win. And, you know, mm. maybe because of Love the Jay-Z that. brand, he ends up a little higher, but it, it's not at someone else's expense. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love that you can be at the pinnacle of your career and still try to create uh, win-win situations, that it's not a zero-sum game and everyone can win. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Michael, I feel like we could keep talking about, you know, life and travel and everything for hours on end. And I look forward to getting together again soon. We unfortunately have to wrap today, but where can people learn more about you and find you? That's tough because I don't do a ton on the social medias. I don't know why. Maybe I just feel like people don't need to hear anything I have to say. But I I would say I'm trying to get a little bit more engaged on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. I talked to Justin earlier. I am going to put out something for free for anyone listening to the Lifestyle Investor on, you know, five keys to how to franchise your brand or how to start a franchise concept since I've I've now done this a number of times and I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. But yeah, do that and then uh, I'll put together a Calendly link if people I'm open to talking to anyone. Schedule time and we'll jump on a Zoom and if I can help you, great. And if not, you know, hopefully we'll just make a good new relationship. Love it. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time. Your stories are incredible. Your wisdom, your expertise is next level. And uh, we're lucky to have learned from you. So thank you for spending an hour with us here today. Thank you. And I think you overstate me way too much, but I appreciate it. It makes me feel good. (laughs) Well, I got to let people know how awesome my friends are. And man, you, you are a shining star and it's good that people know it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 
Well, I love ending every podcast episode with a question for my audience, which is this. What is one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom, to move towards living a life that you desire that's on your terms? So it's by design, not by default. Let us know what that is. We'd love to support you on your journey. What one thing here that you learned from Mike during our time can get you one step closer to where you want to be, to an ideal life, to financial freedom, to scaling your business or your franchise, and hit us up with it. We'll catch you next week. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.